So if you will, <coughs> make your way over to the book of Second Samuel. As you know, um, Pastor Gary has has covered the last two chapters, which happen to be two of my favorite chapters that I didn't get to teach, but Pastor Gary got to teach them. <clears throat> and I want to review those two chapters and just fix everything that Pastor Gary talked about. Because <clears throat> I listened to them and I thought, oh, Gary, now i got to go back and rephrase everything, redo everything. <clears throat> just kidding. As a matter of fact, <clears throat> if you miss them, if you weren't here, you can go online and listen to them. And I urge you to listen to them because they are powerful, powerful studies. Um, I mean, honestly, man, they, the, he, he I, as honestly as, I, as I'm listening to him going, I could not have taught it the way Pastor Gary taught it. Gary just has this way about him of, and the authority that he teaches with that, <clears throat> that I think those two chapters were just meant for, for him to teach them. And so, again, I urge you to go back and listen to them. And even if you were here and you heard them, I would tell you, download them and have families listen to them. Families that you know, because they were powerful studies on family. And so... <clears throat> Okay, Gary, you owe me 20 bucks. Put that out there? No. <clears throat> but anyways, I will be covering 2 Samuel chapter 14 this evening. And last week, um, you were introduced to some of David's family. But back in chapter 3 of 2 Samuel, we actually got introduced to all of David's sons that he had at the time when he came into, into his own, when he came into Jerusalem, when he, when he began to grow as the king of Jerusalem or, or of Israel, we were introduced to his family back then, the boys. And it did tell us that he had other kids or he had daughters. But, but the first one that, <clears throat> that was introduced to us in chapter 3 was Amnon. And uh, he was the firstborn of his second wife, Ahinoam, his first wife, Michael, <clears throat> didn't have any children. She was the daughter of Saul, who had been taken away from him when he, he was on the run. Uh, he eventually got her back, but, um, but she was taken away from him. But that was his first wife. But <clears throat> Abigail, if you remember Abigail, um, she was the, the, the wife of Nabal who, um, who, was, who died and, and David took her in. So she happened to be his third wife and she had the second son, um, gave him a second son by the name of Chiliab. Um, but we don't hear anything about Chiliab from then on. And most believe that it's quite possible he died at some point. Um, in that time period from then to now <clears throat> because here now we have the third son that we were introduced to last week or we knew about in chapter 3 is Absalom and Absalom is uh, his mother is Makaah and she is the daughter of Telemi um, and, and her dad was the king of Geshur Geshur I don't know how Gary was pronouncing it, but he, I'm going to mess them up. So, 
it is quite possible that this marriage that David had to this third wife, or this fourth wife actually, was a, a marriage of convenience. Because uh, Geshar is up in the northern part of Israel, where Israel, where the, where, where the Sea of Galilee is, it is where we know as Syria. It's in that area. And so it's quite possible that David had this, this ally up there and he married the daughter so that he would always have an ally up in that place. If you remember, David was at the time, at one point, king of Judah, which was the southern section. And then there was the 10 tribes, the nation of Israel or the, the territory of Israel. And so he had an ally on that side. So be that as it may, he had these 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 wives, these kids, and, and we won't go on to the next kids because they really don't matter in the story, but, but we have these kids here. Now, Pastor Gary touched on all the drama that would be coming upon the house of David because of his sin. Now, even though there was repentance that had happened in David's life, Again, it, it had, there was some time that had passed there, but there was repentance that had happened in his life and in, and in the heart of David. But even though there was repentance, even though there was a change of heart, David still had to, he still had to go through the consequences of his actions, of, of what had happened in his life. And the, these consequences would take its toll on David's life, on, on the family. Again, you know, even in our lives, when, when we ask for forgiveness for things that we have done, oftentimes, man, God is so gracious that we don't, we don't feel the repercussions of, of the consequences to some extent. But there's always a consequence for sin. There's a guilt that, that, that accompanies us with, with, with sin in our lives. And also, oftentimes, man, we just live in that kind of guilt. And, and it's the consequence of that sin. And God's trying to free us up of, of all the, the, the guilt and stuff. But sometimes the consequences, they, they have to be, like, it has to come about. And because of David, because of his sin, the, the, it said the sword would not leave his family. There would always be tragedy and there would always be drama. And again, man, what Pastor Gary was sharing in the last couple of weeks, man, there was just a lot of that going on in David's life. And now Absalom, Absalom is, is, is the only son, his only son that has royal blood on both sides. From all the other sons, he has royal blood on both sides. Again, with his, you know, he is up in, in Geshar with his king grandfather. And he is living the life of a prince for, for about three years. So, so if we go back just a little bit in chapter 13, in, in verse 37, it said, But Absalom fled and went to Telemi, the son of Aminahid, king of Geshar. And David mourned for his son every day. So Absalom fled and went to Geshar and was there three years, and Dave, King David longed to go to Absalom, but uh, for he had been comforted concerning Abnon, 
because he was dead. And so now we see that, again, there's three years that have passed from, from that time when, when, when Absalom killed his brother, fled to this moment in time as we get into chapter 14. Three years have passed. Three years of, of, of not being able to see one of his sons whom he loved. Just the, the agony probably and the, 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 the inventory that David had been taking in his life and all the stuff that's just swirling around. Him trying to get back to normal, but things couldn't be back to normal. And so in verse 1, it says, So Joab, the son of Zeruiah, perceived that the king's heart was concerned about Absalom. And, and, Joab, and Joab sent to um, Tekoa and brought from there a wise woman and said to her, Please pretend to be a mourner and put on mourning apparel. Do not anoint yourself with oil, but act like a woman who has been mourning a long time for the dead. Go to the king and speak to him in this manner. So Joab put the words in her mouth. Let's stop right there for a while. Joab was the, the general of the army of David. But he also happened to be his nephew. He, he was basically around David all the time. He, he, would, be, he would be David's right-hand man. He would have to have confidence in Joab. So because he's around him as much as he is, he, he is perceptive, keen, keenly aware of David's heart or state of mind throughout these three years, that he's seen all the tragedy that has gone on. He, he, he understands what happened with the family, but he's seen it day in and day out, it seems like, as he's in the palace, as he's with David, whether he comes or goes, he meets up with David, and there's just something about David that, that Joab just says, man, there's something here that is hurting David. And, and, and so he knew it, he saw it, and, and I, I believe he even heard it from David that he longed to see his son, Absalom. To have him by his side once again. And so there was this thing about Joab looking at David, probably feeling sorry for him. Now, I've told you before, <clears throat> it's hard to figure out Joab. For me, it's, it's kind of hard to f- figure him out because when you look at this guy, man, he does some, some, some things that are right, but he also so- does some things that you're going like, wh- where did that come from? Why, why would you be doing that? What is the motive behind doing what you've done, Joab? And so Joab is a kind of a hard character to nail down for me. Now, what I do know about him is that whatever he does do or what he's done, most of the time it will be for his benefit. Now, in this situation, is he just tired of hearing or seeing David 
mope around the palace? Is he just like, David, man up already, man. Your son's gone. Let's get going. Let's get moving here, man. You know, is, is he at that point that he's going, I got to figure something out to, to snap this guy out of this, this funk that he is in, this, this thing that he is going through? Or does he truly feel sorry for David, knowing that that is his uncle? And, and does he have that, that heart to truly help David here? Or does he want to help himself? knowing that Absalom is next in line to the throne of David. And he wants to position himself in such a way that he's saying, you know, I, I could fix this. And if I, if I position it in such a way that, that, that I can get him back over here and get on his good side as well, even though he's my cousin, you know, he knows that I'm faithful to, to David and we all know what he's done. You know, was he trying to position himself in a place that he could continue to be the general under Absalom? And does he understand that it could be, there's a possibility that Absalom could become king in Geshar up there after his grandfather? There's a possibility there that he's thinking, I could have to have... I might have to one day fight against him if that actually happens. So let me figure all this thing out of how I can reconcile these two together again. So again, to me, it's like I'm, look, I'm reading this with a grain of salt when it's like, oh man, he's coming up with a plan. Because I think oftentimes people, I mean, our motives as Christians should be pure all the time. But I think oftentimes we want to make plans and do things that will benefit us. Most of the time, that's what we want to do. We, we want to manipulate situations in such a way that we will be the beneficiaries of it one way or another. And so whatever the motive was for Joab here, it was evident to all in the palace that, and to the kingdom for that matter that David and Absalom uh, had to be reconciled for David's sake, for sure, but also for the kingdom's sake as well. And so, however Joab was playing this, he 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 was he was going to do this thing. And so now we see that Joab comes up with this elaborate plan, this this complicated, if not even convoluted, idea of 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 of. of causing this whole thing to come together. And, and it's quite possible that maybe, just maybe, he was in the same room with David and, and Nathan, and he understood that, Na- that, that David, um, he was a word picture kind of guy. You, you have to give him a scenario. You have to give him a picture. You have, to, you have to, like, prepare him. You can't just come right out and say, hey, David, you're the adulterer. Or you're the murderer. It's like, hey, if, if, if we plan this way, you know, he'll, he'll kind of get it. And it's quite possible that he said, I'm going to take it even a step further. I'm going to put, put this whole elaborate plan together. This whole acting thing. And so Joab sends to Tekoa, and it says that he brought a wise woman. Now, Tekoa is about seven miles south of Bethlehem. So it would be about 
10 miles south or so from Jerusalem, but Bethlehem, um, <clears throat> it was about seven miles from there. And Tekoa would eventually be the hometown of the prophet Amos. And it's quite possible that there was a city of artsy kind of people. Why else would he send to Tekoa and say, hey, man, I need somebody from down there to come and put on this show. Now, the word wise here where we say a wise woman, it means intelligent, skillful, artful. But it also carries meanings like cunning, shrewd, crafty, wily, and subtle. And I would add gutsy, too. Because <laughs> she's going to have to come and do all those things in front of the king. <laughs> it's like, man, what a woman. And it's quite possible that Joab knew exactly who he was getting from Tekoa. And he knew that this woman could pull this off. Again, think about that, man. To, to tell her, hey, this is what you're going to do. And she's going, I'm all in. I'm all good. Where's, where's the stage? <laughs> Put me on it. I'm good to go. And so he gives her the idea, and it says that he put the words in her mouth. And in verse 4, it says, Then the woman of Tekoa spoke to the king. She fell on her face to the ground and prostrated herself and said, Help, O king. Then the king said to her, What troubles you? She answered, Indeed, I am a widow. My husband is dead. Now your maidservant had two sons, and the two fought with each other in the field, and there was no one to, to part them. But one struck the other and killed him. And now the whole family has risen up against your maidservant, and they said, Deliver him who struck his brother, that we may execute him for the life of his brother whom he killed. And we will destroy the heir also. So they would extinguish my ember that is left and leave to my husband neither name nor remnant on the earth. Then the king said to the woman, Go to your house, and I will give orders concerning you. And the woman of Tekoa said to the king, My lord, O king, let the iniquity be on me and on my father's house, and the king and his throne be guiltless. So the king said, Whoever says anything to you, bring him to me, and he shall not touch you any more. Then she says, Please let your... Let the king remember the Lord your God and do not permit the avenger of blood to destroy any more lest they destroy my son. And he said, as the Lord lives, not one hair of your son's, uh, uh, not one hair of your son shall fall to the ground. <laughs> as I was thinking about that, that, man, the only thing I could say to this is bravo, bravo, encore. Man, that was awesome, man. She deserves a standing ovation. Man, can you imagine this woman coming up, being told this story, and she's going, let me at it. She had no shame, man. She, she was a wise woman, a crafty woman, an artful kind of woman. So she was able to pull this off, and it just seemed like there was no fear in her to be able to go and do that. 
And, and, and my other thought as I'm reading the story is that here Joab is putting this woman in a really peculiar situation. He wants something done, but he's not going to go and do it himself. So he calls somebody, hey, can you do this for me? I don't know if you've ever been put in a situation like that. As pastor, I'm sometimes put in situations like that. I don't like it. It's like, hey, can you call my son and blah, blah, and do this or do that? And it's like, I don't even know your son. I know, I know, but, but, but if you call, see, this is what's going on. And if you do these things, then this will be the outcome. And it's like, no, I'm not that crafty. <laughs> you know, I don't have it in me to just fake it like that, you know? And so oftentimes it's like, here's my number. You have them call me. If that's what you're, no, but if, they, if you call, it's like, they don't even know me. Why would you put me in that situation? And so I'm looking at this going, you know, if she got found out, the king could just have her killed. It's like, you're coming into me. You're coming over here and you're fabricating this stupid story just to pull up my heartstrings. And so I almost feel like, guys, let's not do that to people. Don't put me in that situation for one. Okay, but don't put other people that you know in situations like your kids or your spouses or whoever. Don't put them in situations where they're like, I have to. It's it's a total fabrication here. You know, we shouldn't do that with one another, probably because I don't like it. We should not like it. But this woman, she she's all for it. She's good. She's really good, man. She she puts on quite a performance here. So much so that David, David just, he is moved by this whole thing. Now, David was in the position to judge cases. That, that was part of his job description. To, 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 to oversee some of the, he, he would be almost like the equivalent of the Supreme Court. This is where this lady goes to the king, to the Supreme Court. Now, you have to understand that Joab has orchestrated this whole thing. I mean, he has put her to the front of the line, basically, in the forefront with this fictitious situation. And she gets an audience with the king. And David is so moved by this story. But I don't think he's so moved by this story as a king as he is as a father. With what's gone on in his life. She got him right where... He needed to be God. It was his fatherhood, not his kingship. Just like David was moved by the story that that Nathan laid out to him, not as the king, but as a shepherd. Oh, man, you don't do that with little lambs, man. You don't use lambs for for opportunistic situations. You can't do that. And in this situation, this lady comes and she, she lays out this story before David. And it just moves his heart. This lady was asking for mercy from the king. But not just mercy, she was asking for grace. Not just, hey, can you just drop the charges against my son who killed my other son? What she was actually saying is, is don't just drop the charges, but give me what I don't deserve, a normal life with my son, that he would continue to provide for me, as if nothing has ever happened. 
You see, in the situation, even though it's fictitious, in the situation, the, the son deserved to die. That's what the law said, that when you killed someone, you're, you should be killed. And his relatives had every right to kill him and avenge the blood of the brother that had been killed. But you see, that would have also been a death sentence to this widow who only had two sons and one was dead by the hands of of the brother of her other son. And now if they killed this son, then she would be in ultimate poverty. She, She would not be able to take care of herself as well. So killing him and taking care of him would, would, would be a death sentence for her. And the king gives her, her his word that he would take care of the case. He would be on it. But she goes even further. And this is where I'm saying, man, you're good. Because <laughs> once he says, yep, no problem, next. And she goes, no, 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 hold on. Hold on. She goes a little further and lets the king off the hook in the sense to say, just in case you forget my case, which is not really for reals anyways, just in case you forget my case, I, I, I don't want you to be responsible or liable for any of this. And the king lets her know that he is all in on this. That if anyone was to hassle her, In any way, he says, you just bring them to me and I will take care of it and nobody's going to touch you. It's like, yeah. Now, if that weren't enough, she she basically makes the king take an oath with the situation that is fake still. She just kind of continues to push the envelope. You're going, you're kidding me, man. He's already said he'll take care of it. And she just says, hey, Swear by the Lord, basically, that the avenger of blood will not destroy anything, even my son. And he says, as the Lord lives, not one hair of your son's, uh, of your son shall fall to the ground. I'm thinking, there's no son here. It's all fake. But man, she has reeled them in, man. She has taken them, taken them in. And so the king reassures her that nothing would happen. And I'm thinking, man, she's good. She is really good. And this is where the encore comes in in verse 12 to 17. Therefore the woman said, Please let your maidservant speak another word to my lord the king. And he said, Say on. So the woman said, Why then have you schemed such a thing against the people of God? For the king speaks this thing as one who is guilty, in that the king does not bring his banished one home again. For we shall surely die and become like water spilled spilled on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. Yet God does not take away a life, but he devises means so that his banished ones are not expelled from him. Now, therefore, I have come to speak of this thing to my Lord, the king, because the people have made me afraid. And your maidservant said, I will now speak to the king. It may be that the king will perform the request of his maidservant. For the king will hear 
and deliver his maidservant from the hand of the man who will destroy me and my son together from the inheritance of God. Your maidservant said, the word of my Lord, the king, will now be comforting as the angel of God. So is my Lord, the king, is, deserve, uh, is uh, discerning good and evil. And may the Lord, your God, be with you. Now, I, I read this through the, through the New Living Translation, and I want to read these verses to you once again through the Living Translation, New Living Translation, verse 12. Please allow me to speak one more thing to my Lord, the King, she said. Go ahead and speak, he responded. She replied, why don't you do as much for the people of God as you have promised to do to me? You have convicted yourself by making this decision because you have refused to bring home your own banished son. All of us will die eventually. Our lives are like water spilled on the ground which cannot be gathered up again. But God does not just sweep life away. Instead, he devises ways to bring us back when we have uh, been separated from him. I have come to plead with my Lord, the king, because people have threatened me. I said to myself, perhaps the king will listen to me and rescue me from those who would cut us off from the inheritance God has given us. Yes, my Lord, the king, will give us peace of mind again. I know that you are like an angel of God in discerning good from evil. May the Lord be with you. And I'm sure she just took a bow. Encore. Bravo. Man, oh man, what a woman. Because she has just reeled this king in. She, she, she has just brought him in and he is so invested in the story, in her situation. And then she says, hey, can I just tell you one more thing? And this is where it's like, man, woman, you're bold. She, she draws him in all the way and uses this fictitious story to pull on his heartstrings and to help him see that life is too short. And by not making things right with those in his life that he truly loved, he says, it, it, it will be like water that is spilt and you're never going to gather it up again, especially on the, on the dirt, on the sand. Now, don't get me wrong. What, what his son Absalom had done was deserving of death. And he should have been and there's, there should have been action taken for that. But then again, what his son Abnon had done was deserving of punishment. And yet he didn't do either, nothing on either side. He hadn't done any of that. Now we see that through the law of Moses, the law of Moses was harsh. And, and it brought punishment quickly, oftentimes. In most instances, things like this were taken care of and they were taken care of quickly. But because he is, this is the royal family, it, it was almost like, well, what do we do here? 
Who, who's really going to come against the king and say your son should be punished for raping his sister? That should be happening right now, but you're doing nothing about it. Are you guys above the law? Your son goes and kills your other son, and he should be put to death, but you're doing nothing about it. But even in the Old Testament with the law of Moses and the, the harshness and the punishment that would come quickly, oftentimes there was mercy and grace shown as well. And when I was looking at this, it reminded me of Exodus 34, verses 5 through, through 9. It says, Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there, <clears throat> speaking of Moses, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. <clears throat> The Lord passed by him, before him, and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and, and, and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sins, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of their fathers upon the children and their children's children to the third and fourth generation. So Moses made haste and bowed his face towards the earth and worshiped. Then he said, If now I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, I, uh, let my, my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we are a stiff-necked people and pardon our iniquity and sin and take us uh, as an inheritance. You see, God deals harshly with sin. But it doesn't mean that he never shows mercy and grace. Even in the Old Testament, there was many times that he showed mercy and grace. And David had been shown mercy and grace from the Lord. When, when Nathan told him, the Lord also shall put away your sin, you shall not die. And even though he had to face all these consequences and all these things, even though he had been shown mercy and grace, he was not showing mercy and grace to his son Absalom here. This woman tells the king, if you would be, if you were, would to, if you would show this kind of mercy and grace to my son, in parentheses, who really doesn't exist, or a stranger, why is it that you can't do this for your own family? And, and, and she kind of brings in the bigger picture of not, it, this just didn't affect David. It affected all those around him. People knew that he was suffering through this. And even further to the nation of Israel, it, would, it, it was affecting the nation because David hasn't dealt with this. If, if he would have just showed the, the, the judgment right away, then they would have moved on. But he didn't. And yet, he's not showing the mercy and grace that he should be showing now because, hey, something's got to give here. You can't just be moping around and not deal with the situations that you have just left to, to kind of fester. Because what's happening in this festering time, people are becoming, becoming affected. David was, was almost paralyzed because he just couldn't move forward because he hadn't dealt with it earlier and he's not dealing with it now. 
And oftentimes, when we are being told, now it's time to show mercy and grace, and we are not doing anything about it, we become paralyzed, and the people around us are affected because we're not acting on what God has now told us to do. Because of all this unforgiveness that was going on, people were paralyzed. The kingdom was becoming paralyzed because David wasn't dealing with what he had to deal with. You see, time had passed. He had been comforted for the death of his son, and now he was supposed to forgive his son and bring him back. But because time had lapsed, and and, and it was almost like an awkward situation now, and Joab is the one that comes up with this elaborate plan to try to reconcile these two together. Now, I don't know about you, but when things aren't dealt with right away, and we let time go on, it becomes more and more awkward. It's like, man, I should have dealt with it. As soon as I hurt somebody, I should have went and apologized. I should have went and, and humbled myself. And now time has passed. It's like, how do I break the ice here? How do I ask for forgiveness now? Maybe, maybe they've forgotten about it. I could guarantee you they have not. <laughs> David should have taken that first step. After all of this happened, and maybe he was feeling the guilt because he didn't deal with his first son, and Absalom had to go and take care of it. Not that he had to, but he did. And, and, and he should have, when he took off that way, he should have followed him and said, hey man, let's get this right. Let's get this taken care of, because we'll see later on that Absalom's going, hey man, either kill me or, or, or forgive me here. Do something. But it had become so awkward. Three years have passed and David could, could, really, could not move forward. And it was the story that got it going. In Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, he says, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as Christ in Christ, even as God in Christ forgave you. You see, forgiveness is not so much for the other person as it is for us and our obedience to forgive. Once someone is gone, <laughs> you can't get that back. And that's what this lady is saying to David. We're all going to die. David, if you die right now, you're going to regret this whole thing. Or if your son dies right now, you're going to regret this whole thing because you did not get it right. <laughs> Guys, right now in my life and dealing with, with some of the family members, is like, get it right right now. Get it right. Life is too short to let things fester and go on when God says, hey, you must forgive. And you're going, I don't know if I could forgive. It's like, and then they die. And it's like, Ah, now I have to bear the guilt for the rest of my life. It's like, well, you should take care of it while there's breath. Honestly, I don't know if there's people in here that this is speaking to, that God has been speaking to you saying, get this right. And, and you hear a story like this, which is a fictitious story here, but it's a story and she ends up hitting up David and saying, why haven't you done this? Why haven't you gotten this right? You will live with the guilt and regret forever. In verse 18, it says, Then the king answered and said to the woman, Please do not hide anything from me uh, that I ask you. And the woman said, Please let my Lord speak. Let the Lord, the king, speak. 
So the Lord said, Is the hand of Joab in all of this? And the woman answered and said, As you live, my Lord, the king, no one can turn to the right hand or to the left from anything that my Lord, the king, has spoken. For your servant, Joab, commanded me and put all these things or all these words in my mouth, the mouth of your maidservant, to bring about this change of affairs. Your servant, Joab, has done this thing. But my Lord is wise according to the wisdom of the angels of God, the angel of God, to know everything that is on the earth. And, and so, again, once, once the king caught on to this whole thing, and, and it's quite possible she just overplayed her role here, and, and he figured it out that Joab's fingerprints were upon this whole thing. Now, I, I don't know if this lady was acting at this time, <laughs> but it seems like she's still acting and buttering him up thinking, man, you're the smartest guy in the world and nobody could pull the wool over your eyes, even though I just did. <laughs> she was playing him like a fiddle, it seemed like. But this woman lets the king know that Joab is the one that put her up to this. But he did it for the greater good, she says, so that we can all come back together. And I'm thinking, I don't know, maybe she was being played by Joab here. In verse 21, it says, the king... He said to Joab, All right, I have, I have granted this thing. Go before, or go therefore, bring back the young man Absalom. Then Joab fell on the ground on his face and bowed himself and thanked the king. And Joab said, Today your servant knows that I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, my Lord the king, in that the king has fulfilled the request of your of his servant. So Joab arose and went to Gishar and brought Absalom to Jerusalem. And the king said, Let him return to his own house, but do not let him see my face. So Absalom returned to his own house, but did not see the king's face. Now in all Israel there was no one who was praised as much as Absalom for his good looks. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. And when he cut the hair of his head, at the end of each year, he cut it because it was heavy on him. When he cut it, he weighed the hair of his head at 200 shekels according to the king's standard which is about five pounds. To Absalom were born three sons and one daughter whose name was Tamar. She was a beautiful, a woman of beauty, beautiful appearance. And so J Joab is so grateful that the king has granted him his request and he falls and, and prostrates himself and does that. And I'm thinking, okay, Joab, are you still putting on our act here or are you so serious about this? But we see a change of heart in David. And perhaps he is so relieved that finally, finally it's out in the open. We, we're we're going to deal with this finally. He gets to be reconciled with his son. But yet, 
in this reconciliation, he, he adds this, this caveat to it, this, this, this stipulation, if you will, on the reconciliation. He can come home, but he cannot see my face. Now, I'm wondering, is he doing this to show the nation that he, does, he still doesn't approve of what has happened? Or is he just showing some tough love here? Oh, I'll let him come home, but he's never going to see my face. Or is he trying to teach his son a lesson still? Because if he is, if that's the case that he's trying to teach his, les- his son a lesson, lesson, it's going to backfire on him. You see, God commands us to forgive with no caveat, with no stipulation attached to it. He never tells us, oh, you can forgive, but make sure you hold this over their head. He never says that. A half-hearted forgiveness is no forgiveness at all. It can't be. And, And this notion to forgive and forget is impossible. We're never told in Scripture to forgive and forget. But we are told to forget and never bring it up again. (laughs) That's what we're told. You see, you never forget the things that are done to you. But you have the, the responsibility and the command not to bring it back up again. You see, God never does that with us. God does not have the ability to forget anything. But yet, He never brings it up. I could guarantee you what God has forgiven you of, He has never thrown it back in your face, ever. Oh, we remind ourselves all the time, and we remind Him, oh yeah, but remember this, He's going, why do you keep on bringing that up? I have forgiven you of that. But you see, we we so often do that to our our, our people, (laughs) to one another. Oh, I'll forgive, but I can't forget. Well, you can't forget. But you have the ability not to bring it up. And that's what we're told in Scripture. That God never did that. He never reminded His people of what they have done. He forgave them. You see, we are not to, to tell somebody, I forgive you, and then, and then have this leverage back here to remind them of it every time they mess something up. David was continuing to be in sin here. And it would have been better if he wouldn't have brought him back. And I would put it this way, it is better not to forgive someone than to say that you have, but continue to treat them as if you haven't. God never gave us permission to do that. And so it tells us about his beauty and all that. In verse 28, And Absalom dwelt two full years in Jerusalem, but he did not see the king's face. Therefore, Absalom sent for Joab to send him to the king, but he would not come to him. And when he sent again the second time, he would not, he would not come. So he said to his servants, See, Joab's field is near mine, and he, set, uh, and, and he has barley there. Go and set fire to it. And Absalom's servants set the field on fire. Then Joab arose and came to Absalom's house and said to him, Why have you sent your servants to set my field on fire? And Absalom said to Joab, 
Look, I sent to you, saying, Come here, so that I may send you to the king to say, Why have, you, why have I come from Geshar? It would be better for me to have th- be, be there still. Now, therefore, let me see the king's face. But if there is an iniquity in me, let him execute me. So Joab went to the king and told him. And when he had called for Absalom, he came to, to the king and bowed himself on his face to the ground before the king. Then the king kissed Absalom. Absalom understood. It's like it would have been better for me if I wouldn't have been here. Because he's treating me just like he hasn't forgiven me. And yet, is this just a show for the people? You see, all of this, as, as, as touching as it is at the end here, where it says that the king kissed Absalom, it's like, no, he's doing it as a king. This is purely superficial. If it were said, and his father kissed his son, it would have been different. If David kissed his son, it would have been different. But it's the king doing this with Absalom. You see, all this is just going to cause more and more turmoil because it wasn't true forgiveness here. Oh, I'm sure David was excited about it to see him, but it was almost like there was something within David that he just couldn't let this go. And guys, forgiveness will eat at you. If you're going to forgive, forgive like God has forgiven you. That's what we're told. Forgive how God has forgiven you. If you're holding something against somebody else, if you're holding something over their head, then I want you to take time, even tonight, and, and, and just contemplate, how has God done that to you? Has He ever did that to you or done that to you? If He hasn't, then what gives you the right to do that to anybody else? Because that's what David did here. David once again shows us that he is not the perfect man. I'm sure he would have wanted all this to to just be fixed, but it wasn't fixed because it's going to get worse from here. Was his pride welling up? Probably. (laughs) The humility that we used to see in David, we don't see it right here. And it bums me out because I love David. But this is what I like about David and and the Word of God that it shows us that David David was, was frail. He was fallen. He wasn't perfect. Neither are we. But let us do what God's word says, not what we think we should do. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this word, Lord. I do pray for my brothers and sisters in this room right now, Lord. Father, I don't know what's going on in their lives, Lord God. I don't know why you had them be here tonight. Why they needed to hear something about forgiveness tonight. Again, Lord, we, we see a story of someone who says they forgive but really hadn't. And, and they were still in, in, in pain and agony and it was still affecting them. And I pray for the people in this room tonight, Lord, that if there's forgiveness that has to happen, Lord, uh, that they would go and forgive someone truly, Lord, that, Lord, they would seek your face right now and ask for forgiveness themselves, Lord for not obeying your word. To show them what it means to go and ask for, to go and forgive others, Lord. And so, Lord, I thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for revealing this to us even tonight, Lord God, reminding us once again 
that, Lord, when you show mercy and grace, Lord, you pour it on. Lord, it's without strings. And so, Lord, I just pray, God, that you would just help my brothers and sisters as we move forward from here, that we would not be paralyzed in unforgiveness, Lord. And so we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.